0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to Oscar Wilde, a podcast about film, always counting down to next year's Oscars. I'm Nick Wirkraut.
1: And I'm Sophia Simonello.
0: And today we'll be talking about a few recent releases. They are Malignant, Blue Bayou, Cry Macho, The Eyes of Tammy Faye, and Dear Evan Hansen. This was a rough bunch for me. (laughs) For people who loved some of these, I apologize in advance.
1: This was really a mixed bag for me. I would say I'm much more excited about the slate we have coming in October. So I think for some of these, since we're kind of finally getting into the swing with fall festivals and more releases picking up here and there, we'll give you our recommendations, tell you which ones we think you should check out or skip um, based on our reviews of them and potential Oscar buzz.
0: Yes, all of this relating to the Oscars, I think that has forced me to watch a few of them. But let's start out with some other recent film updates. We'll quickly go through some of the festivals that have been happening, new trailers that we've gotten, and then also just some other film news pertaining to award season.
1: So now we can go through some of the festivals that we have, I think because we haven't updated you guys like on these as they've been happening. It's kind of nice to just give you, I think, a full picture of you know, what has kind of been going on at these festivals and what this could mean for this season at the Oscars. The first big one that we had, which I think is the most glamorous one other than Cannes, is the Venice Film Festival. Bong Joon-ho and Chloe Zhao were on the jury, which we were really excited about. And just to run through some of the winners, the Golden Lion winner was Happening, which is a French film, and it was just revealed that this is going to be one of the three films that are kind of considered finalists for france to select from for the oscars the other two being Hmm. petite maman and titan so we have a really diverse group of films there celine siama was kind of screwed over (laughs) when portrait of a lady on fire wasn't selected and Obviously, we also have a Palme d'Or winner, so who knows? But I kind of think France is going to go with Happening. We'll see. I'll be excited if it's mm-hmm. one of the other
0: two, though. I think she's going to get knocked out again because yeah. I feel like her movie Petite Maman is on the lighter side of things, or it's about mm-hmm. childhood. And a lot of these international selected pictures for the Oscars are harder-hitting films. Mm-hmm. Happening is about abortion. Titan is about a woman having sex with a car. And kind of her trauma, I haven't seen it. I know you have, so.
1: The Silver Lion Grand Jury Prize went to Paolo Sorrentino's The Hand of God. And Best Young Actor went to Filippo Scotti from The Hand of God also. I guess, what do you think about The Hand of God picking up these two prizes here in Venice and maybe what that means for the Oscars, if anything?
0: I think it winning here made more certain for me that it does have a real chance at the Oscars and as we've seen recently there are international pictures and directors getting into those top spots and I think this has had the most hype this year of being that picture and I think even Scotty winning as best young actor I don't think this award relates to anything Oscar-wise, but I think him winning in the main competition selection says something for this movie. So I think Netflix is going to have a good chance at getting in, or at least they're going to push it.
1: Yeah, I'm like still a little skeptical. I think only because it is the Venice Film Festival, and this is an Italian film. It feels like this Mm -hmm. was the best place for it to win the bigger prizes. And I've kind of, I think... Now that we're a few weeks away from that, it feels like I haven't heard as much about this one as I have about The Worst Person in the World, for example, or some of the other international contenders, like Flea even. Maybe those are just because they're at the New York Film Festival too, and this one Mm -hmm. isn't. But I'm really curious, I think, what Netflix's strategy will be and if they can push it over the line.
0: And then a few other winners from Venice. We had Best Director going to Jane Campion for Power of the Dog. I think this is also going to help her chances and maybe even just solidify them as her being one of those five nominees already.
1: I am so excited to see this movie. I know you and I are both seeing it at New York Film Festival, and I'm rooting for her. I hope that it is just as great as it is in my dreams, really. I think this trailer looks phenomenal, and I love a good slow burn Western. We will maybe get to that later (laughs) today. (laughs) and how that works or does not. Um, But I'm very, very excited to see this and obviously excited about Jane Campion potentially going back to the Oscars.
0: And then screenplay went to Maggie Gyllenhaal for The Lost Daughter and Best Actress went to Penelope Cruz for Parallel Mothers. The latter shocking me only because I was really, really rooting for Kristen Stewart to get in there.
1: So, I was listening to Chasing the Gold from In Session Film, that podcast, and they were talking a little bit about this. And I agree. I think that Penelope Cruz winning here, it's only good because it doesn't hurt Kristen Stewart's chances. If anything, if Kristen Stewart would have won here, she would have started that, you know, sweeping the season narrative. And mm-hmm. that could have backfired in the long run. People could have gotten tired of her wins. And this, I think, you know, it's good to spread the wealth. From everything that I've heard, both of these performances are really outstanding. So I haven't seen Parallel Mothers or Spencer, so I can't really comment on who deserves the win, but I was a little bit surprised that this happened. So Telluride, a much different festival than Venice, much more intimate, I would say. This is definitely like top of my list of film festivals that I would love to go to just looked so magical the entire time. Um, Seeing everyone with Dakota Johnson was just very cool. I was very jealous. But looking at Michael's Telluride film blog, it was very, very interesting. He put together this composite people's and professionals score list. So 12 films overall made both the people's list and the professionals list. And if you look at these lists in the combined scores, they actually do really correlate to best picture winners even. So like Moonlight Mm. has been the top film in the past, 12 Years a Slave, Birdman, films like that. So this year, the top two films were The Power of the Dog and Belfast. I think both of these movies will definitely be coming back and will be coming up over and over again throughout this season. Rounding out the top five, we had The Rescue, which is apparently an incredibly compelling documentary from the same directors who made Free Solo, Mm -hmm. Marcel the Shell with Shoes On, which I feel like (laughs) sounds like a Netflix pickup. They probably should. (laughs) And King Richard, which potentially has our best actor frontrunner, Will Smith, and I think could be a big crowd pleaser coming from Warner Brothers. How do you feel about that list? What do you think?
0: Those top two spots, I think that's just writing them in stone for this season, and they kind of have been this whole time. It's kind of what we've expected a little bit. Am I surprised that some others from Telluride aren't higher? Maybe a little bit, but it also excites me more for King Richard than the fact that it's doing so well.
1: Right. It's higher than Spencer. Come on, come on. The French Dispatch, which is shockingly low to me that, that played that poorly for that crowd. That remains to be seen. We're seeing it very soon, but just a little odd. It feels like now maybe it could be just one of those that's just very below the line crafts contender.
0: Mm. For anybody who hasn't seen this list, or we can link you guys to it, the top five have basically an eight or above out of 10, and the French Dispatch at 11 has a 5.55. Mm. That is way lower than I expected.
1: (laughs) Me too. Yeah. (gasps) Oh no. (laughs) I know. Okay. So moving on to TIFF, keeping those top two in mind, Power of the Dog and Belfast. Belfast was our People's Choice Award winner. I know we talked about this on our mailbag and how this always bodes well for films come Best Picture nomination time. But I Mm -hmm. think we can count on Belfast being that crowd pleaser favorite of the season.
0: And last year's TIFF People's Choice winner went to Nomadland. Obviously that one Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actress. But the other two were One Night in Miami and Beans. On our fantasy draft episode, we were all chatting about how we're kind of unsure how a Kenneth Branagh movie is going to play, especially one that's getting a lot of hype and press. And I think this is very good news for that you know it's working people are enjoying it and it's another black and white feature we have a few of those coming this year too
2: mm-hmm. I don't know
0: if that is helping it in any way you know like with Roma it kind of gave it this nostalgic vibe to it and I could very well see that happening here with you know his semi-autobiographical story basically and
1: I'm sorry <laughs>
0: <Is that> roll? <laughs>
1: So, the eye roll is just because I haven't seen Belfast yet, but it would just be the most Oscars thing ever if we get something like Roma, a beautiful black and white film in the Spanish language with some tremendous performances, beautiful visuals, Mm -hmm. and it loses to Green Book, and then later we get Kenneth Branagh's semi-autobiographical film in black and white and the academy goes for that instead and you know I don't know (laughs) if it's fair exactly to compare the two but comparisons are being made it just would be the most Oscars thing ever for that to happen and it's looking like it could um it's obviously very very early I'm hoping for something else because this just doesn't look like it's that exciting to me but we'll
0: see I also just didn't want to hurt your feelings like You love this trailer, and...
1: I do love the trailer.
0: (laughs) It doesn't do a ton for me. Like, I think I just need the full feature. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not super hyped for this, but all of these awards, like, it's good news. Like, I'm not going into it with a bad mindset. I'm just weary, or I guess in another way, I have other movies that I really, really want to see this season besides that.
1: I agree. But I will also say this trailer made me cry and Dear Evan Hansen did not when we went to see it. So if that's (laughs) an indicator of anything.
0: I was reversed and we will get to (laughs) the outcome of that.
1: (laughs) I think a really big piece of news here though is that The Power of the Dog got third. And that to me is like, you know, people, at least the first reviews and before people saw it, everyone was kind of like, ooh, it could be divisive, you know, maybe it's going to be too hard for the Academy or too much for audiences. But getting third is kind of a big deal here when there are other, I think, populist films that were up for the award and didn't get in. So I think that's a good sign that this can reach audiences potentially too, and not just critics.
0: What were some other big films that were at TIFF, I guess, that were up for it? There was like Eyes of Tammy Faye.
1: Dear Evan Hansen. Yeah. Flea. Worst person in the world.
0: Well, talking about Flea for a second, with the People's Choice Documentary Award, that also went to The Rescue, which was on that list previously from Telluride. And in third place for this award was Flea. So it wasn't forgotten. You know, I think we're going to be talking about that all season. We might be talking about The Rescue when it comes to Best Documentary Feature.
1: I mean, if I had to pick one today, like The Rescue feels good. Based on the topic of those cave divers, that just feels like something that the Academy would really go for. Mm -hmm. So we'll see. Documentary is always nearly like the most challenging category to predict because they always forget the big ones. So,
0: And there are so many awards at TIFF. I was kind of looking through everything. One of those is the Variety Artisan Award. And I mentioned this just because it went to Ari Wegner, who is the DP for Power of the Dog, for her being a female cinematographer. I think that's Mm -hmm. big. There haven't been that many nominated in the Academy. So it's really exciting.
1: Yeah. Only one ever. So this could be really big. And I think this year cinematography is going to be one of the most competitive categories based on what we've seen, Mm -hmm. whether it's the actual film or just stills or trailers. It just looks like it's going to be a very, very competitive year. Another bit of news from TIFF that I think connects to more news that we got about the DGA, the Ebert director award went to Denis Villeneuve and the DGA just announced that they're, yeah, your guy. (laughs) Oh my God. Why am I eye rolling all day? Anyway, (laughs) the DGA just announced that they're reversing their ruling or order to prohibit day and date films from being eligible so now dune king richard any of those warner brothers day and date films can be eligible for the dga so i think this is huge for dune in particular Mm -hmm. here because that is i think a crucial stepping stone in getting to that oscar nomination it doesn't have to happen but for a bigger blockbuster potentially We'll see. Movie like Dune. I think that that is a step he might need to get that Mm -hmm. Oscar nomination. So it's exciting for him and for you.
0: (laughs) Especially for me. Yes. (laughs) You know, they're holding off on giving the green light to Dune Part 2. And I think all of this press is easing my nerves a little bit because I am more and more certain that it's going to happen. So, in just some of the first box office numbers that came back on the Thursday, It premiered it made almost five million dollars and in two days it made over eight million and then currently it's almost at 77 million dollars which i love to see we've been worrying if audiences were actually going to go see this movie you hear bad reviews about there's too much going on i don't know what's happening but i think box office wise he's going to do okay i don't know how hbo max is going to go how do you feel about all that
1: I think it's concerning that he made a movie called Dune and it's actually Dune Part 1. That just worries me a little bit. It's not a very, I would say, reliable IP. So I don't think it's a given that it's going to make all this money. I think it needs easily over $225 to really work. Mm -hmm. But I think that that's a good dent. That's a good start. And I'm hopeful that U.S. audiences will show up are timothy chalamet and zendaya movie stars like can they pull those crowds in Mm -hmm.
0: the younger crowds yeah
1: is this just like a film twitter thing i'm so curious to see what happens i'm also worried about the hbo max
0: it's the next tenant like you think of sci-fi you think of theater so i'm hoping people go
1: (laughs) i wonder if it'll be as confusing slash if we will be the only ones who like it we'll see (laughs) (laughs) And going on currently, we have the New York Film Festival, which is so fun. It's like one of the best Mm -hmm. festivals, I think, very partial to it because we get to go to so many screenings, which is just very cool. The big premiere out of New York is, of course, The Tragedy.
0: As we will be calling it, not The Tragedy (laughs) of Macbeth.
1: Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Francis McDormand and Joel Cohen call it The Tragedy, so we will be calling it The Tragedy when we cover it, but... Yes. So The Tragedy of Macbeth, that is the big premiere. That's really the only major premiere happening at New York. Most are kind of reruns from the other festivals that we've had so far, Mm -hmm. but a really excellent slate of programming. And The Tragedy is getting great reviews, which is thrilling to me. It's
0: amazing. Mm -hmm.
1: Uh, Yeah. I'm so excited.
0: I was a little worried, but we got that teaser last week. We got that interview from Joel and Fran from Deadline, which was incredible. So the like minute that we've seen the sets, the acting, the costumes, the cinematography, it's just I'm very excited. And especially with that 100 minute (laughs) runtime, I think, you know, getting that Cohen treatment, that's really enticing for me.
1: Yeah, I mean, one of my favorite working directors is adapting one of the greatest plays ever written with two of the greatest living actors in the lead parts. Mm -hmm. I just like, it's almost too good to be true. So I'm very excited by these reviews. I love the German expressionism of it all. Mm -hmm. And that teaser. So let's like go into trailers a little bit. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Oh my God. In just in less (laughs) than a minute, I was fully fed for the week. (laughs) It was like, I have everything I need. The shot of the witches. Mm-hmm. I can't wait to see Catherine Hunter play the witches. Um, yes, she is playing all three. I can't wait to see what that is like.
0: Oh, I didn't know that.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just everything about it. The cinematography, I think, was the standout element to me. Bruno Delbonel.
0: Mm-hmm. Another one we got was A24's The Humans. This has been on my most anticipated and... It is staying there after I saw the trailer. I am so excited for a play adaptation. I think the actors it's kind of a unique group. We have Amy Schumer with Beanie Feldstein and Richard Jenkins and Stephen Yoon like nobody I would have put together in a room, but I think the way they move the dialogue from the trailer it looks like a sob fest for me
1: I also don't really know anything about this. I didn't see the place, so I want to, I think, remain as blind to it as possible. Like, I don't really want to know anything going in, but the trailer definitely did its part in hyping me up for it.
0: I think for a lot of these, I'm trying to go as blind into them as I can, just because sometimes trailers can ruin things or just tell too much, and I think I've said that on here before that I haven't seen the Dune one, we went to see... Oh my
1: God, this was so funny. What did we... When we saw Dear Evan Hansen. Oh yeah. When the Dune trailer came on, you like hid. You were like looking at your phone.
0: I didn't watch. Well, I was tweeting that we were at <laughs> no, Dear Evan know, Hansen from our account, but I was like, I cannot watch because this is, I think the second trailer or a final trailer that yeah, came out and it was I was one. like, I don't need to see more. I've gotten snippets along the way, but that's one of them. I didn't wanna watch the full humans trailer even. I saw about half and I loved it and I was like, okay, that's enough.
1: That's really funny.
0: And I'm not sure I wanna go and see the new Spencer trailer.
1: Oh, that is this is so funny that you just don't watch trailers. (laughs) Meanwhile, I obsessively watch them.
0: I didn't see the full Eternals trailer. That played before Dear Van Hansen as well. So I like that fresh experience.
1: That's so interesting. Meanwhile, I sought out a 35-millimeter screening of Boogie Nights just so I could see the licorice pizza trailer, which I have seen. Oh, my God. It is a heavenly experience. But before I talk about the trailer, I don't know how much you want to know. I just have to say. So I went to the Alamo Drafthouse, and where my seat was, it was on the very end, kind of right by the door where you come Mm in. Uh And these two boys who are probably in college come sprinting into the movie theater while they're playing the French dispatch trailer. And they're like huffing and puffing out of breath. And one comes right over to me and goes, did they like that? And I was like, no, they haven't played it yet. And he was like, Oh, thank God. Cause I knew he was talking
0: about this licorice pizza trailer. trailer. Oh my God. You've met a fellow Stan.
1: Yes. The stands were there <laughs> But it was really cool, so they actually like played it like it was attached to Boogie Nights. So they waited till like all the trailers were through and then played it. Okay. I cried in this trailer as well because <laughs> seeing Cooper Hoffman, Philip Seymour Hoffman's son, was mm-hmm. really overwhelming in a way that I didn't really expect. I will say also, Alana Heim has a bigger role than I anticipated, just based on the trailer. There's a moment in the trailer also with Bradley Cooper that is so good so funny, where he's talking about Barbara Streisand, actually. So (laughs) it's really, really great. I think I have a better idea of what it will be like now, and Mm -hmm. I need it. It just seems like it's going to be his most entertaining and his warmest movie ever. I think some of his movies feel almost like they're so precise and have this very Almost inaccessible sense of humor for some people that I really connect with, but I get how it wouldn't work for others. This mm-hmm. feels, I think, like more of a crowd pleaser compared to his other movies. Interesting. To me, it's like, like Lady Bird meets Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, was the vibe that I got.
0: I can handle that.
1: You can handle it. <laughs> You're not like thrilled. You
0: absolutely love Hollywood. And I know you said it was nothing like Inherent Vice, but until I see this movie, I'm going to be a little skeptical of it, but I am excited for it.
1: No, it's not like Inherent Vice. Nothing like that. It's a high school movie. It's about teenagers. It's not that world. And Inherent Vice is based on a postmodern work of literature. This is Mm -hmm. not that. It's much more Boogie Nights. And Spencer, somebody watched Phantom Thread, and that man is Pablo Lorraine. (laughs) (laughs) It looks just incredible. I love Jackie too, but this trailer, I think, you know, being about Diana, it has some very intense lines in it delivered Mm -hmm. by Kristen Stewart as Diana that really just hit me hard. So I'm very excited to see this in November coming out soon. Also got a little of the Johnny Greenwood score, which sounded great.
0: Oh, yeah. I think the subject matter is going to be interesting and like how much of her life they focus on.
1: And we got our second trailer for West Side Story. Are you allowing yourself to watch the West Side Story trailer?
0: Well, that's the one you missed before Dear yeah. Hansen. And I was more into it than the first one. I think the first was more of a teaser. And we got some more interesting is like a bad word, but interesting cinematography and different kinds of shots I think initially it was like this big project and Mm -hmm. this new trailer kind of broke it down a little bit. And I was like, okay, this could actually work. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Another one I'm weary about, but it still has that warm, epic feel to it. And obviously being New York, I'll definitely be there. Have you seen this one yet?
1: I have. So I did watch this one. I'm very concerned about the choreography say that. But I'm trying to withhold my judgment. I'm more so worried, I think, about how the choreography is captured because lately with musicals, we've had a lot of close-ups. We don't get the dancing like we did in the Mm -hmm. old musicals. So I'm also wary of that. Mm. And just Ansel Elgort just kind of looks like a wet blanket in it. But Rachel looks great.
0: She does. And yeah, Ansel's not the part I'm excited for. I will say that.
1: I think another big one we're excited for is Mass. We haven't seen this. I feel like everybody has seen this, but we have not seen this yet.
0: It's going to be chilling and grueling, and I'm ready for like four amazing acting performances. And last but not least, we got The Matrix Resurrections, which is the fourth installment of The Matrix. You know, it's funny, people are saying online how it's basically the first movie, just different context and different format. And they took out Lawrence Fishburne as Morpheus, put in Yaya Abdul-Mateen II, and there's Jonathan Groff, too. What? Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know who he line. plays, but he's, he's at the end, and he references The Matrix. So it's kind of like this meta world. Like, okay. I don't know what is happening, but Neo, like, has to remember and get back to Trinity. So less of an Oscar discussion, just, like, more of this world IP that we're building on and getting back to.
1: Okay, I'm happy for everyone who likes these. <laughs> Maybe I'll watch the others and watch this one too. We'll see. So if you had to pick one of these movies to see right now, which one are you picking?
0: Uh, the one we haven't mentioned, which we also mm-hmm. got a trailer for today, which is Finch, the Tom Hanks movie. <laughs> <laughs> JK. <Just okay. laughs> Wait, wasn't
1: um, that called something else originally? Like BIOS. BIOS. Okay, yeah, yeah. I knew we talked about that on our most anticipated, <laughs> in quotes,
0: yeah. episode. It's another Apple TV Plus venture with uh, the tragedy. So if I had to pick one of these... Ooh, oh, my gosh.
1: Or two. You can pick two. This is... Two.
0: Okay. I was going to say, this is kind of shocking, but I would say the tragedy and mass. Oh, Yeah.
1: Interesting.
0: Okay. Mm -hmm. What would yours be?
1: Do you want to pick a third so I can pick three?
0: (laughs) No, pick two. Okay, Okay, fine. Even though they're licorice and the tragedy.
1: Yeah, they are licorice (laughs) and the tragedy. The third would be Spencer, but if I had to just pick two, definitely licorice pizza (laughs) and the tragedy.
0: My third would be the humans, so okay, that's fine.
1: Yeah. You know, the tragedy is so soon, and Licorice pizza, I have no idea. Like, will this be the New York Mm -hmm. Film Festival secret screening? I don't know. We'll Mm. see. But now on to some September releases (laughs) (laughs) that are available to watch right now.
0: So first off, we have Malignant, which is currently on HBO Max and in theaters. The description here, Madison is paralyzed by shocking visions of grisly murders and her torment worsens as she discovers that these waking dreams are in fact terrifying realities. It's directed by James Wan and stars Annabelle Wallace, Maddie Hassan, and George Young. How did you feel about Malignant?
1: I loved Malignant. I thought it was a great time at the movies. Very Mm -hmm. fun, campy horror. I really like how James Wan builds these, just for lack of a better word, spooky sets. These old homes that the characters live in with all of these opportunities to scare you. It's what I signed up for, but it was also surprising in its humor that I think comes especially in the second half. It starts out kind of feeling more like this traditional horror movie with supernatural elements to it, maybe even demonic, and then it fully pivots. And I love when the shift happens. What Mm -hmm. did you think of it?
0: I really liked it too. It's in this class of B horror movie, very campy Mm -hmm. genre. And That is just a very fun time at the movies. You can just kind of sit back and laugh along and enjoy the ride. It took like 40 minutes for them to get to the description part of like her seeing these visions. And that kind of shocked me a little bit. And as it goes along, it, like you said, morphs into different things. Mm -hmm. Like no pun intended. Yeah. And it kind of captures the range of horror from like jump scares to some gory bits, and then some action thriller parts. And I think it does a really good job overall of closing the story. Like, there aren't that many plot holes. Or if there were, like, I just didn't care because it worked. But by the end, they, like, wrap things up pretty nicely. So Mm -hmm. it was very enjoyable throughout.
1: Yeah. There are some scenes, too, especially near the end. Like, there's a scene in the jail in particular that was one of the funniest scenes I know I will watch all year. And (laughs) we love Gabriel, our villain.
0: (laughs) So it sounds like we would both recommend this. Is that right?
1: Yeah. I think for people who aren't big horror fans, it might be a stretch to kind of like see the humor or get to that point where it flips. But I think if you're a seasoned horror fan, if this is a genre that you love, definitely don't miss this. It is... Not the same as like The Conjuring or The Conjuring 2 or some of these other James Wan films in that universe, but it's still, I think, a really, really successful
0: horror movie. It's not a part of his IP, which I also liked. Mm -hmm. And just the fact that he can still come up with such an original idea and just have fun with it. You know, this played a hundred times better than Old Mm -hmm. did for me. So he's doing something right. He's got his strategy down.
1: I agree. And as far as Oscar potential goes, this isn't the type of movie that really ever gets Oscar potential. And I think that's okay. It, Mm -hmm. you know, isn't one of those like elevated horror. I hate that phrase, but it just isn't that. This is just much more of a film, I think, for fans in a time when some of the Oscar fare that we're getting as regular audiences isn't as entertaining, at least in my opinion. Mm -hmm. So. This is the one on the list, spoiler alert, that I would recommend
0: first. Mm -hmm. Same for me. And you say elevated horror. I mean, if Hereditary is not getting into the Academy, there's no way this is. But it's also just very different from Hereditary. But that doesn't mean I would recommend it any less.
1: So next we have Blue Bayou. Description here. As a Korean-American man raised in the Louisiana Bayou works hard to make a life for his family... He must confront the ghosts of his past as he discovers that he could be deported from the only country he has ever called home. This was directed by Justin Chan, who also stars in the lead role, alongside Alicia Vikander, Mark O'Brien, and Sidney Kowalski. This premiered at the Cannes Film Festival. I skipped it at Cannes, and I'm just going to say right off the top that I'm really glad that I did. <laughs> what did you think of Blue Bayou?
0: Was that a timing thing, or did was there a reason you skipped it?
1: It was a timing thing. I went to something else, so...
0: That's fair. I yeah. mean, you gotta choose. Festivals are rough. Well, on me saying Malignant is my number one pick out of these, I will say Blue Bayou is my number five pick. This was just a dumpster fire of a production that only got worse as it went on, and it's so troubling, I think... It's trying to tell this really rousing story of adopted children from different countries who come to the U.S. and aren't covered by the laws that we have here for people over a certain age. I think it was in 2000. And then there are thousands of people being deported, and they report these facts at the end of the movie. And that just felt like such a shift for me because the movie didn't really do a good job of this being what they wanted to focus on. They told a really troubling story of a really hard circumstance that this guy is in and you just kind of get wrapped up in the people he meets along the way and his family and the white savior cop and it just felt so confused in what it was trying to do. How did you feel about this movie? (laughs)
1: The point that you make about the information that we get at the end, which is that so many of these adults now are getting deported, even though they've been in the U.S. for so long, they were adopted by American parents and they just were never made citizens. Getting that information, that was something that I didn't really know a lot about and I still don't know a lot Mm -hmm. about. I think that it would have worked better as a documentary trying to get that information across because I agree with you, the story is so meandering. It feels like at some points, it's one of those A24 waves films. Like it's trying to do that Mm -hmm. with these unique, really artistic looking flashback shots. But are they flashback shots? We don't know who these people are that they're showing. Then it kind of pivots to a storyline that doesn't make any sense. He meets this Vietnamese woman. This storyline has absolutely nothing to do with what's going on in the main storyline and it could have I think been a really compelling story about cultural connections in a community like Louisiana like the south where there aren't a lot of Korean people there aren't a lot of Vietnamese people there I like that Mm -hmm. that that was an idea but it's just not it's not connected at all to the storyline where it felt pointless I was like this feels like a short film attached to this feature film.
0: I have so many notes and there's not a single nice thing that I wrote down during this movie. It was a reveal that the Vietnamese woman was dying and had a wig on. We had a line in the movie about, there's a lot of hair references. You know, we had the dying of the hair. We had a line about Kim Kardashian's hair. And towards the end, they try to intercut the story of the Vietnamese woman with, I don't know if he's realizing it or just It's a flashback of his mother and when she was trying to get rid of him, basically. But that editing in that sequence wasn't highlighting some bigger story. It was that there's death. At least that was it to me. And I was like, this could have been done way more emotionally and connected to some story or one of the stories happening. And then from there, there were like five different endings Mm-hmm. It just kept going and going, and it needed to stop. And the fact that it did that by those final messages, it was like, you didn't need all of this other stuff to fill the movie and to make the story feel more complete. Like, that wasn't doing anything to me.
1: I agree. And I also think that the white savior cop character, who is... The little girl in the movie, her birth father, Mm -hmm. that was, we keep using the word troubling, but that is like the only thing I can say here because I just don't understand why you need to make that character redeemable. To me, it felt a lot like Crash. This movie was very reminiscent of Crash and that is not a movie that I will recommend. So this is not one that I will recommend either.
0: I will also not be recommending this there's one scene that I thought Alicia Vikander was good in. What about Oscar potential here?
1: So what's really interesting here is that when this came out in Cannes, at first when I saw some of the reviews, I thought, oh god, I like picked poorly. This maybe was one I shouldn't have skipped because mm-hmm. I saw a lot of strong reviews. I saw some polarizing things too, like people who are saying that this is really cloying or that you know it tries too hard to win you over and to make you emotional. But then I would see reviews that were comparing it to Moonlight and that were raving about it. So I really felt kind of torn. And that leads me all to say that I don't think it has a lot of Oscar potential, primarily because of timing. I think coming out in September is hard. when We have this long season. It also only premiered at Cannes. We don't have Mm -hmm. another festival picking it up or we don't have a lot of audience support at these later fall Mm -hmm. festivals. So I think that that's like one of the reasons why we're not going to see it. Never say never. I mean, it could come back around. It is one of those things that Academy voters do seem to like, but I don't think that Justin Chan, this being his first feature, I don't think the Academy is going to as like, readily praise and champion this movie as they would if it was by a veteran director. Mm-hmm. What do you think?
0: Yeah, it's been very quiet since it came out. No big press. There wasn't tons of marketing for this, so... If it went away, I wouldn't be surprised. You know, just kind of funny that it did premiere at Cannes, and then from there, nothing really came of it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I'll remind you that you did predict this on our early predictions episode just because I want to say that.
0: <laughs> All of our bad takes, they're coming back.
1: <laughs> I'm sure I have plenty that you can remind everyone of at some point. <laughs> oh, So let's move on to the next one.
0: Let's do that. So next up is Cry Macho. Description here, Mike Milo, a one-time rodeo star and washed-up horse breeder, takes a job from an ex-boss to bring the man's son home from Mexico. It's directed by Clint Eastwood, and it stars himself and Eduardo Minette. Starting off, this is also on HBO Max, and we know Clint as this film giant. He's been around making films forever. He's acted in so many films. I feel like as of late, he said a lot of the same things throughout his movies. So overall, I didn't find this super compelling. But how did you feel about Cry Macho?
1: It's hard because I don't think I can fairly evaluate this movie. It being a Clint Eastwood movie, it just comes with a lot of history and a lot of baggage that the other movies on this list don't have. Mm -hmm. So because of that, I'm automatically just more interested in it because, I mean, he was a huge Hollywood star, Mm. major director. I love Unforgiven. I really do. But this, to me, was just very middle-of-the-road Clint Eastwood. And why I say I can't evaluate it accurately or objectively is because the world that he operates in is not real. It's not normal. It is like completely and totally his, and that's partially because he is one of those directors who just didn't really evolve, I think, with the times. He just kind of stayed in his world and said, these are the kind of movies that I'm going to make, and I'm going to keep making them until I die. Mm I'm going to keep making these old school dramas, these westerns. So I think there are some elements in here that do work and made me feel a little bit more melancholy when considering his old age and everything that he's done in the film industry. But there's also just there were some lines in here that were so funny. And just some of the some of the plot details that were absolutely ridiculous that did make me laugh. If you're a Clint super fan, go to the theater to see it might enjoy it. But otherwise, I think this is like the perfect just put it on in the background HBO Max watch.
0: Mm -hmm. I think for me, I felt very much the same way because it seemed so simplistic. He's working with like themes of good versus evil and triumphing over your hardships and having those core family values.
1: Mm -hmm. I think that he sometimes is better at playing with tropes of Westerns and subverting your expectations. He does this really Mm -hmm. well in Unforgiven, but here that's not really what happens. This to me feels like someone who is like Totally settled in to where they are in life. Right. This man is 91 years old. If you try to inspect this plot any further, the whole thing falls to pieces because what man sends a 91 year old man to go Mm
2: -hmm.
1: get their son in another country? But because it's Clint Eastwood, you're like, of course. Like, of course he cast himself in this role, and what could maybe be his final film. I mean, who knows, in a month he could be like, got another one, finished it in two weeks. Like,
0: (laughs) Is this supposed to be a swan song?
1: I mean, he'll never say, I think, what his swan song is, but this feels like it, kind of.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: The way it ends, especially, feels that way to me. I think another problem we have here is that in his other movies, like American Sniper, for example, or even Richard Jewell, you have these Really strong veteran actors in these performances. You have Bradley Cooper, you have Kathy Bates, you have like Sam Rockwell, Paul Walter Hauser gives a great performance in Richard Jewell. Like you have those people who he's directing in his one take wonder style. But if you have a newcomer mm-hmm. like Eduardo Manette, I'm not saying he gave a bad performance, I don't think he did, but it's harder to get there
0: mm-hmm.
1: than when you have those people who know their way around an Eastwood set, or really any set at all.
0: I really thought he might have a heart attack when he was running after trying to pick up Macho.
1: (laughs) Macho is the new Mr. Allnut in this movie. They say Macho so many times.
0: If I hear Macho one more time.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And the boy is so earnest when he says Macho every time. So Macho... If you haven't seen, Cry Macho is the name of the rooster. But of course, you know, it also doubles as, you know, this meaning of what men Mm -hmm. are supposed to be or aren't, you know, anyway.
0: Also, there's a line where Clint or Mike says, guy wants to name his cock macho. It's okay by me. It's like (laughs) the most masculine thing anyone could ever say in this movie. I was like, oh my God.
1: He does have some lines like that, though, that I actually did laugh at. Like there was one scene where... He told Dwight Yoakam that he looked awful. He was like, you look awful. I was like, (laughs) it was just really funny. (laughs) Or like when the kid wanted to drink tequila at the restaurant. And he's like, Mm -hmm. you can drink battery acid when you're with your dad. You're not drinking that with me. (laughs) It's like, what is happening in this
0: script? Well, it's funny you mentioned the script because the backstory to the screenplay kind of eased my criticism of it a little bit. So initially, N. Richard Nash wrote the screenplay in the 1970s. So it's taken decades to get this made. It was initially rejected twice by 20th Century Fox. After that, he ended up rewriting it as a novel. And that was published in 1975. So he ended up pitching the screenplay again. But then even through the years, they had iterations with Rob Schneider as Mike Milo. What? They had Arnold Schwarzenegger playing the part in like 2011. And that was after he was governor of California. So this just took forever and ever to make. And maybe that's why, like you say, this kind of felt old fashioned, like stuck in years past. Like that's probably why is because it wasn't updated yeah. very well.
1: Well, the time period in this movie and just the passage of time makes absolutely no sense like they tell you it's gonna it takes place in the 70s but like it didn't need to if you told me it took place mm-hmm. in 2007 or 1992 like it would be all the same to me like <laughs> <laughs> also there's a point when he's on the phone mike with the dwight yokum character where he tells him mm-hmm. like that two weeks has passed it's like two mm-hmm. weeks like how did that happen i thought we were like day three yeah. So that was a little confusing to me, but also like kind of in an endearing way, just because it is this Eastwood movie. So I did kind of go into it expecting those types of things because it is kind of in this latter part of his career. There were a couple of times where I actually, though, was like, they should have just cast a younger actor in this part. Someone else like in their 60s, maybe, or like even older. But there were points where I was genuinely afraid for his health. (laughs)
0: Yeah. He's like a pretty active guy in this movie. And then the whole part about he's into this like 60-ish year old woman who runs the cafe. And she's into him. I was like, why is this happening?
1: He cannot resist. Did you see the mule? No. Oh, okay. That might have set you up a little bit better for um, this (laughs) one. Because there's a a threesome moment in the mule. So just... What? Yes. With him? He (laughs) Yeah.
0: Oh my god.
1: He just like can't Help. resist having characters who somehow women no matter how young or beautiful they are cannot resist him. I'm like, "Sir, you're not your son, Scott." There was a there was a moment too earlier in the movie when Rafo's mother, who is like part of the reason why we're supposed to believe he's like being taken from Mexico back to the states to his dad. Mm-hmm she gets on the bed and like propositions him and he makes a noise that I told you sounded like a car stalling. (laughs) You could also compare it to, I think I saw this on Twitter, the Basilisk from Harry Potter. Like it is, (laughs) it's really, really something.
2: Oh my God.
1: So I will say I do recommend this like on entertainment value alone, if you find what I've been laughing at entertaining.
0: Like all of the reasons that were making fun of this or laughing. We're not intentional, though. No. So if you want that kind of a movie, then yes, go see it. I would still say I would not recommend you spend near two hours, whatever the runtime is, on this like very mediocre Western movie.
1: I will say that I will recommend it, but only to certain audiences. So I think like if you're a big fan of Clint Eastwood movies, this is nowhere near the top of the list, but check it out I think just to like see him in this role and it's charming at least in some parts and I think if you're just into the western genre it doesn't hurt it's pretty easy to watch the cinematography was really pretty so there are I think some redeeming points to it
0: I did like that part it really reminded me of Paris Texas or No Country for Old Men Mm -hmm. great desert shots
1: but I think ultimately a more forgettable movie
0: Yeah. And in that way, I don't think there's going to be much Oscar potential for this either. Like his other recent movies, there's The Mule. You mentioned American Sniper, which I had no idea was him. But there was also the... What is that? I never know the name of that train movie.
1: Oh, The 1517 to Paris.
0: That too. I mean, none of those got attention. So I think this is in that same category.
1: It's curious because, like, you know, we had Kathy Bates sneak in for Richard Jewell. But that also, I think... Oh, my God. Had...
0: Forget that that's an Eastwood vehicle, too. Yes. Like, I... <laughs> yeah. hmm
1: He just keeps, keeps cranking out these movies. But, I mean, Kathy Bates was a previous Oscar winner. Not that Clint isn't. But this feels, I think, very different than that. That was based on a true story. I think that is, like, the type of drama that audiences connect with more readily and that also had Mm -hmm. a wild marketing campaign richard jewel ads are like still up in new york so (laughs) (laughs) i think it's definitely worth you know considering but this is one of those like later career clint eastwood Mm -hmm. movies where like i don't think we can expect him in best director or getting into picture anything like that here so next up we have the eyes of tammy faye Description here, an intimate look at the extraordinary rise, fall, and redemption of televangelist Tammy Faye Baker, was directed by Michael Showalter. It stars Jessica Chastain, Andrew Garfield, Cherry Jones, and Vincent D'Onofrio. We saw this together, so we got to talk about it a little bit, but Mm -hmm. what did you think of The Eyes of Tammy Faye?
0: This was much more enjoyable than I was expecting it to be, Just as a biopic, I kind of went in thinking it would be a certain thing, and to some extent it was, but I think the actors did a really good job with the characters. Even Michael Showalter and the way he brought us into their lives, I think that was like really entrancing in a way, which I wasn't expecting at all. And Jessica Chastain is just going over the top and portraying her. It's fun. I don't think it's like, oh, she needs to win an Oscar for this, but I know there's going to be, we can get to talk of that later. Um, How did you feel about this?
1: I actually liked it as far as, you know, these biopic Oscar contender staples go. It's very traditional in the sense that it is like a cradle to grave story of a famous person who had all of these challenges and overcomes them, any of this like deeper look at their life and the troubles that they face. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I think it also is really funny Mm
2: -hmm.
1: in really unexpected ways, especially between Jessica and Andrew, like their performances. I feel like some of the scenes where they're together, I thought there was some great comedy happening there, which I really appreciated. I think tonally it had some issues. I struggled, I think, sometimes to know like what I was supposed to be feeling about Tammy here. And you know, is she complicit? Is she to blame? Are we letting her off the hook? That was, I think, a little bit harder for me to unpack because of the way that the story was being told. I almost like didn't know what to do with the Andrew Garfield performance. And like if that was successful, if they showed too much, if they didn't show enough, I was a little confused by that, um, but I will say overall, like this was a really entertaining watch, even though it was a tad too long.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And we'll definitely get to Jessica, but I thought she was great.
0: Yeah, it definitely ran way too long for me. There was a point where it should have ended and it kept going and I kind of deflated a little from there. I think the hype from, I guess, mainly TIFF kind of built it up too much for me. I was expecting more than I got, and part of that issue is in those tonal issues that you mentioned, and then seeing some flaws that I feel could have been avoided. But yeah, it was funny. It starts off as this very horny movie, Mm -hmm. and I really did not really need to see that. That But was funny. um, (laughs) 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 It's like, okay, here we go.
1: The scene with the bathtub in
0: particular was hysterical. Mm Mm-hmm. Jaw was on the floor, (laughs) but I did love all the Diet Coke references.
1: Mm -hmm. So I guess before this movie, what was your like knowledge of Tammy Faye in particular and this world of
0: the televangelists? Basically zero. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: There's the Drag Race Snatch Game reference that I really didn't know who she was even then, but I also feel like the movie didn't tell us a whole lot. It kind of just glossed over the high points to her career, mm-hmm. you know, the rise, fall, and the aftermath. And with the biopic, I do like when it gets into the nitty gritty. But I guess for what it was trying to do, it gave us what we needed to understand for her story.
1: It's interesting because, so I didn't know much about Tammy Faye Baker either, besides the Snatch Game reference that you mentioned. But it was funny because when the 700 Club comes up in this movie, and this movie really, I think, gets into all of the financial details and how fraudulent this like televangelist industry really is, that is fascinating to me. And I wanted them to, I think, like dig a little deeper and like implicate people a little further in their mm-hmm. actions. I will say, I think D'Onofrio gave a good performance as Falwell but he was almost like cartoony. Like I wanted like some real gritty storytelling here about how problematic televangelism can be in duping people into like giving these people money to fund their fabulous lifestyles. And it's not Mm -hmm. going to the places that these people think it's going to. And it's ambitious that they were showing that and they were telling this type of story, but Ultimately, it felt a little bit more muddled in what they were telling you about Tammy Faye, because it almost felt like they were just trying to paint her as this really good person who didn't know anything. As someone who's currently watching shows like The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills and Salt Lake City, where these types of things are happening to women on these shows right now, um, I don't believe that she was totally innocent. Like, how can you Mm -hmm. not know this? So I wanted a little more of that
0: here. They make it a point multiple times throughout the movie where she's looking onto these conversations happening in secret behind her back. Mm -hmm. But she's also not a dumb person. Like that's also part of the movie is that she's seeking a chair at the men's table where they're talking about all these Mm -hmm. business deals going on you know, she wants to get in there and she has this drive. But then at the same time, like she didn't know anything. Right. And she gets off while the husband goes to jail. Like that's one of the plot holes to me or something they glossed over. Yeah, I totally agree. I would like to see the documentary.
1: I want to see that too. I think I know that this particular film was based on that documentary. Like that is the text. But yeah, I agree. It's like when they set her up as the smart character and the one who like wants to be really involved and a lot of times it's the character who has the great ideas and then somehow she's off the hook. Like That doesn't make sense. I agree. And also, he does seem like a really, really stupid character. Jim Baker, Like he just seemed like an idiot in this movie and he's mm-hmm. a bad guy, so I'm okay saying that, I think. But like, if she's the smart one, like, she has to know what's going on. Yeah. It's a little mob wife to me. I think that's kind of the vibe that I get from her. <laughs> I think let's talk about Jessica. So she won one of the awards at TIFF, one of the tribute awards at TIFF, and mm-hmm. she has been campaigning. People are talking about this performance. Do you think she's the front runner right now for best actress?
0: I think she's a nomination lock. Is she the front runner to win? I kind of hope not. And I think my trouble with, I don't know if it's her performance or maybe how the character was written, but I saw her the whole time. Mm -hmm. And I, maybe this is a bad reference, but with Renee Zellweger as Judy Garland, I didn't see Renee most of the time. You know, I felt like she was Judy. And that's what I appreciated about that performance and why I saw her winning Whereas with Jessica, I saw her most of the movie, and it just seemed like a getup with an accent a little bit. I think she did well. Like, I'm not trying to speak ill of the entire thing. I would also just myself, like, not want to see her win for this. Like, I want to see her win for something a lot stronger.
1: Well, unfortunately, Jennifer Lawrence won for Silver Linings Playbook (laughs) when she could have won for Zero Dark Thirty. I mean, I think we're living through one of those times where like, maybe this will be that where she wins for like one of her lesser performances, but I don't actually think this is one of her lesser performances. I think she's really good in it. I mean, I think maybe one of the reasons why these biopics work for the Academy and in particular the actors is because in a way she's playing so many different Tammy Faye. She's playing the college Mm -hmm. Tammy Faye where she has the chipmunk cheeks. And she's just, like, totally new to everything. To the Tammy Faye on van To the very delusional Tammy Faye. She's singing. She did transform for me. There were parts where I didn't see her in the part. There are other times mm-hmm. where it's more obvious. I definitely yeah. will give you that. But I don't know if she's, like, a lock-lock for a nomination. Just because it's still early and this movie did really poorly. Right now, she is high on my list. But... I'm not that worried that she's going to win here. She's not the person I feel most confident in at this point, but she is the performance I've seen this year that I am most confident in for sure. Like she totally knocked Jennifer Hudson out of it for me.
0: Mm -hmm. That would be my order too, is Jennifer Hudson, Jessica Chastain, Kristen Stewart. And I think I have her in the lead still because Spencer hasn't come out for the majority of the population and press is really hyping her up. People are saying she's incredible. I mean, we have the trailer, but the fact that Tammy Faye has come and gone, it is kind of quiet.
1: Yeah. And I think too, one thing is like you and I, before watching this movie, I mean, we're younger than a significant portion of the people voting, but Tammy Faye is a memorable person, but she's not Diana. Like everybody knows or has some sort of connection to Princess Diana's story. Whereas Mm -hmm. Tammy Faye Baker, it's a little more obscure, but she has a lot to do in the part. And I think she does a really good job with what she has. I'm not like passionate about it though, where I'm like, she needs to win.
0: Yeah. I hope the conversation changes a little bit throughout the season and we have six more months. (laughs) Oh my God. It feels like last year again. (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm. Sure does. Do you think this has other Oscar potential besides Jessica Chastain? Because since we have the locked 10 nominee category for Best Picture, if she's the frontrunner for Best Actress, those don't always correlate, but a Best Picture nomination would be more likely. But what about in other categories even?
0: I would say definitely no to Picture, but I could very much see a Makeup and Hairstyling nomination. Mm-hmm. I think that and House of Gucci are going to like battle it off based on one character.
1: For sure. Heavy prosthetics. I don't think they're always consistent. Maybe they are kind of sloppy because they match her, but I don't know. (laughs) The costumes I also really liked, so I think that's a possibility. But we do have some period films coming out that have Mm -hmm. gotten a lot of buzz for their costumes. And I also thought the production design was really cool, especially their home, which is so gaudy. I thought that was really cool. And those sets that they had for the 700 Club and a lot of the like televangelist shows, I thought that those were really well crafted and creative.
0: For me, it's just a little too early to get into those technical categories because we have so many coming. Mm -hmm.
1: And then just lastly, what did you think of Andrew Garfield or Cherry Jones even as supporting?
0: i like them. They're not going to show up as nominees. You know, I really like Cherry Jones. She was good as the mom, kind of stuck to the character Andrew Garfield was a bit wackier, didn't pack as much of a punch. I definitely would say The Eyes of Tammy Faye is just a good Chastains movie. Mm-hmm. Did you like them?
1: I love Cherry Jones. I wish she had like one more big speech or something so she could maybe come through. I feel like a nomination for her would just be fun. Andrew Garfield felt weird to me in this. I don't know. I think that they do a good job of like playing on how young he looks naturally, but also I did feel like he was miscast at some points and I think he hmm. will maybe come through more because I do love him and I think he's a great actor but I would rather I think I'm more excited to see him in Tick Tick Boom
0: Mhm. oh definitely
1: so I would recommend this I know it's in theaters now but I think it's a fun watch and was more enjoyable than I was expecting
0: yeah of this list here this is my number two I would recommend this Even though like I don't love it, it's not one of my favorites of the year, I still think it's an enjoyable movie. You get to learn about these historical figures Mm -hmm. and relating that to the 700 Club, I think I had the same revelation that you did. I was like, oh my God, that's what that was Mm -hmm. because it just seemed like infomercial. You just kind of turn it off yeah after you know your show plays
1: it would always come on after full house and after Gilmore Girls and that was always when we had to change the channel <laughs> okay are you ready our last one
0: I am not ready but I'm ready to get it over with <laughs> <laughs> I have so many notes about this movie and again not a single good note but this is Dear of Enhansen. Description here. It's the film adaptation of the Tony and Grammy Award-winning musical about Evan Hansen, a high school senior with social anxiety disorder and his journey of self-discovery and acceptance following the suicide of a fellow classmate. It's directed by Steven Chabosky. Stars Ben Platt, Amy Adams, Caitlin Dever, and Julianne Moore. This is another one we saw together and mm-hmm. in IMAX. <laughs> Why? Don't think we needed to do that. <laughs> But how did you feel about this movie? Tell the listeners about our experience. (laughs) Of
1: course. So we were in a theater with a lot of super fans. I'll start there. I mean, part of it is that we went opening night in IMAX. Like, Mm. of course, that was going to be our experience. I also will note that I did see the musical. So I had that knowledge kind of going in. And Mm. to me, the film wasn't successful because the creators felt way too tied to this and didn't make the changes necessary to connect this very odd, difficult to untangle story about complex mm-hmm. issues with teenagers to make it into a successful film. First and foremost, Universal, please, When you put this on DVD, when you put this on streaming, put a warning and a link to the National Suicide Prevention Hotline. Before this Mm -hmm. movie, I was shocked they did not do that, considering the subject matter and how upsetting this movie can be with the topics that it addresses constantly and the ways that it addresses them. I do think the music is fun. I like the music in the show. And Ben Platt, we can get to that whole thing. But do I think it's the worst movie ever made? Like people are saying on Twitter, no. But I do think that it can be harmful if you maybe don't know about it going in, which is a problem. What about you?
0: The screenplay felt like a first draft for me.
1: <laughs> Starting off strong.
0: <laughs> in a Broadway context, this play is so different on a stage. You know, you're in this world where music is supposed to happen. And even though it's a hard subject matter, it just worked for me so much better. And in the movie, it's so jarring to be talking about suicide and mental health and to immediately erupt into song or to be singing about that subject matter. Mm -hmm. That was so hard for me. I really enjoy the music from the musical, but it's also the exact same here. When people are raving about the movie, like... A reason why it's good isn't because of the music, because nothing was changed, except for they took out a couple songs, they added a song, which I thought was horrible.
1: <laughs> Anonymous was not a great song.
0: I think that came right after this like really uncomfortable and forced discussion about their medications. Mm-hmm. That just all felt so weird to me.
1: Let's talk about Ben Platt, because this has been I think the topic that's dominating the conversation is the casting of Ben Platt you know, his father being the producer, him like being in this role and people's thinking he's too old for the role. I personally mm-hmm. don't take an issue with his age in this role because we've had people in their late twenties, mid twenties playing teens forever. Like go watch Riverdale, go watch Grease. This just is a thing that happens. And I don't know why mm-hmm. they're intent on it being this way, but it just is. So the age itself isn't the concern. The way that they make him look older than he is in real life and insist on shooting him in close-up the entire movie is the problem. And the way that because he's a stage actor, yes, he's been in movies. He was in Pitch Perfect. He was in The Politician, the show on Netflix. Like, He's Mm -hmm. been in front of a camera. But I felt like in this particular role, he was leaning on his experience from the stage show and he was playing to the rafters. Like, he was not doing movie acting alongside people like Caitlin Deaver and Amy Adams and Julianne Moore, who have quite a bit of experience.
0: I was fortunate enough to see Ben Platt perform this on Broadway, and he was incredible. His voice is incredible, and that's why he should be Evan Hansen. But Mm -hmm. there are so many reasons also why he shouldn't have been Evan Hansen. Mm -hmm. I mean, for me, yes, it's partly the acting, but it's a lot of it goes to the screenplay and what they say to each other. It Mm -hmm. just isn't real. I think part of this movie is trying to relate to this younger generation to have these more open discussions about mental health awareness. But the way it does it in this movie just doesn't feel realistic. And that was part of my issue. There's a lot of editing happening. You talk about all the close ups that we didn't need the whole movie to be shot in. I also just didn't need a movie that was like so cringe.
1: I was entertained by a lot of the cringe, but I never felt like emotionally connected to it at all. Like, I expected to really sob during this movie, and I like, I cry very easily in movies, but this just like. It didn't do anything for me in that department because I like I couldn't lean into it. I couldn't get lost in this movie mm-hmm. because I was so just hyper focused and aware on the cringe factor and how unrealistic it felt like. And I'm okay with a movie, the musical in particular, being unrealistic. I'm fine with that. I think it was that screenplay and just how it leaned on stereotypes. Like of course they show Connor at the beginning with his dark nail polish and being really angry. Mm -hmm. It's like just this stereotypical and they refer to his outfit as looking like a school shooter. It's like, what kind of script are we working with here? And when Amy Adams like shows up at school the next day, they could have been talking about anything. Their car not starting, their dog died. Like (laughs) that reaction to their son dying by suicide, It wasn't even cold and like a Mary Tyler Moore and Ordinary People cold. It was just like an, I don't know what I'm doing here Mm -hmm. in this movie.
0: It was emotionless. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It didn't have anything to it. And part of that is like, is that the writing here? Because I don't want to say like, did Amy Adams give a bad performance?
0: They all did the best that they could have, Mm -hmm. especially Amy and Julianne. Yeah, I agree. The only part when I was like starting to tear up Was with Julianne's song at the end, so big, so small. But then we would cut to Ben, or (laughs) something else would happen, or the vocals will just sound off Mm -hmm. and it would go away. Like Mm -hmm. I would lose any sort of connection to this.
1: Definitely. Julianne, she really was the shining star of this movie, I think. She had my favorite performance. I wish she was in it more. Yeah, overall, I think this was messier than I expected. And ultimately disappointing for someone who liked the show.
0: Mm -hmm. My favorite performance was from Caitlin Dever, which was kind of surprising. She wasn't overacting. Maybe they just wrote her character a little bit better. The scene in the car was not great, but I think overall, she just felt the most real to me or that I guess she was acting as emotional as she should have been as the sister of someone who just committed suicide.
1: Yeah, I like her too. She and Ben Platt together, I felt were very awkward, maybe more even than the movie called for, but that's okay. Do you think they said macho more in Cry Macho or orchard more in Dear Evan Hansen?
0: Or good thing at the (laughs) dinner table. Oh my God, it was so bad. There were so many repetitions. And then around Anonymous, there was one line that she repeated like five times. And I was like, okay, sing another verse if we're going to be doing this. (laughs) Again, first draft feelings.
1: You know, this was a multi-Tony winner, a Grammy winner. Do you think it has Oscar potential or is it just kind of DOA?
0: I think you'll be happy to know we're not going to see this at the Emmys. I don't think we're going to see this at the Oscars either. (laughs) This (laughs) isn't going to be the next Hamilton rolling through into the next year. Performance-wise, no. Technicals, no.
1: What about Anonymous?
0: I was thinking, like, here we go. They're putting in an original song mm-hmm. just to try to get in there. I don't think so. There's no way. And they really don't go for poppy things like this. I would I would say no. What do you think?
1: I'm also going to say no. I was really curious with the TIFF premiere. And, you know, in this year with so many musicals, like thinking Mm -hmm. it was possible, you know, maybe it would have a reception similar to something like The Greatest Showman, but so far it hasn't seemed to. It does have a 91 cinema score. Wild. So audiences are into this movie. I'm curious, I think what will happen with the Golden Globes this year, because I could after last year with music, I could definitely see them going for Dear Evan Hansen in those categories if the Globes are, you know, whether they're just a press release or
2: a thing. A thing. Yeah.
1: But as far as Oscars go, I think we're heading into a really strong year despite the movies we talked about today. So mm-hmm. I don't think we'll see Dear Evan Hansen.
0: And I hope I never see this movie again. Oh my God.
1: So. <laughs> so I think it's safe to say that you would not recommend...
0: I would not. I would just say go listen to the soundtrack from the musical. I was singing Sincerely Me for days after we saw this movie, and there's just not a world where I want to sit down for two hours and 11 minutes watching this movie again.
1: I think if you're a really big fan of the show on Broadway and the music, like go see it. Go check it out. Audiences also really like it, so even though We didn't. I don't get it. I think if you just like musicals generally, I would say to go and see it, but also just know going in, if you aren't familiar with the story or you aren't familiar with the stage show, just be warned that because they won't warn you that it deals with really, really challenging topics around mental Mm -hmm. health and suicide.
0: And maybe it's just with the Broadway version, they can be more vague about things, Mm -hmm and here it's way more explicit. I told a few friends that hadn't seen the musical before, wait till it comes to your city on tour, because I think the movie would just ruin the story for me and kind of put a bad taste in my mouth, whereas there's a much better version out there.
1: Okay, so those are the five movies that we will talk about today. We hope that you enjoyed our conversations about those and all of our excitement about the film festivals and the upcoming trailers that we have. I think we have a really exciting season ahead.
0: I hope you don't hate me too much for my disparaging comments about these movies. I am very excited for October, so things are looking up. We have the tragedy Um, to look forward to. A different kind of tragedy, thankfully.
2: (laughs)
1: And next time on Oscar Wilde, it's finally October, and we are kicking off our spooky season with a Hitchcock Tober episode. We'll be talking about three of his Oscar-winning and nominated films. We'll be talking about Rebecca, Rear Window, and Psycho.
0: One of my favorite directors. I'm so excited to be talking about some of these movies, which are also some of my favorites. I wish we could talk about many of his, but mm-hmm. maybe for another time.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you all for listening. If you liked our episode, please rate, review, and subscribe. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Oscar Wilde Pod.
0: Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next week.